as we talked about on Sunday, we are going to talk about the other side, and this is the third part of, of this uh, little mini-series that we were doing. So we've been in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to go back to verse 21 uh, and start there again. Even though we read that Sunday, I think it, we, we need to set this up again tonight. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. And then we're going to go now to verse uh, 35, right? So let's pick it up now in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, excuse me, to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, at, and at this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So, as we talk, Jesus now was going over to the other side of the lake, uh, and which is actually a sea, but... It, it, they use the word lake often in the, uh, in the scriptures here. And he's met with a crowd. And among the crowd is a man named Jairus who's a leader in the synagogue. And notice now that in seeing Jesus, two things happen. Number one, he fell at his feet. And that to me symbolizes two things that I just want to highlight very quickly here. Because we're not talking about he, he knelt. We're talking about he prostrated. To fell out his feet means he totally prostrated himself before the Lord. And number one, it means that deep humility. He didn't approach Jesus on the basis of his position as a leader in the synagogue. On the other hand, also, he didn't allow his position to keep him from seeking help from Jesus. And that teaches me that we should never approach the Lord on the basis of position. 
In other words, sometimes we think that we are owed something from the Lord because of who we are or how long we've been saved or the position we may hold in church or what we were ever able to do. And uh, we should never approach the Lord based on position, nor should we ever allow our position to keep us from publicly humbling ourselves. Let me just talk to a moment to my senior Christians. The longer we're saved, the more we battle pride. The message goes out, it strikes in our hearts, in our seat. The altar call has come, and now we're saying, well, but, you know, I'm a deacon. I can't come up there. Or I'm a pastor. I can't go up there. What, I mean, I thought, what's that going to look like you know, coming up there for prayer? And I'm, I'm a pastor. So sometimes we lose the blessing because we allow our position to pu- keep us from publicly humbling ourselves. You see? So not only, A, that they should, uh, falling at Jesus' feet means deep humility, but B, it also means the acknowledgement of Jesus' authority, his power. In other words, unlike the other religious leaders that you read throughout the gospel, they never, ever acknowledged that Jesus had authority and power. In fact, they, they would say that his power came from the devil, They would never ascribe him as having godly power. They were looking to take him down, not to lift him up and acknowledge that. But this man uh, fell at Jesus' feet, acknowledging that Jesus had the power, he had the authority uh, to, to heal his daughter. He, by doing that before everybody, he was publicly declaring that he believed in Jesus Christ. Seeing Jesus not only means that he fell at his feet, but then notice he pleaded earnestly with him. So this was not just a quick, simple request from the Lord. Obviously, his daughter is sick to the point of death, and the word earnestly there in the Bible means to be, to be large and often, or to put it our way, to be loud and repetitious. <laughs> In other words, he didn't just pray, Jesus, could you come and help me? You know, I'm a leader in the synagogue, you know, but I don't want the other Pharisees to know. Could you come and help? This means he got loud and he kept asking the Lord. He kept pleading with God. So, again, think about that for a moment because, again, he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care what they heard. And and, and here's the thought that came to me when, when I was thinking about this. The desperateness of our circumstance should determine the earnestness of our praying. Right? Because there are times we demonstrate that we're not really desperate because we're not really crying out to God. When there is a genuine desperateness that's in our soul that rises up, come on, parents, you there, if your child is 12 years old and at the point of death, and you know there's one person that can give my daughter hope, and he's right in front of me, this is not a time to be uh, courteous, this is not a time to, to, to be uh, pleasant in the sense of saying, well, let me follow all this protocol. He didn't care about anything. He began to cry out to Jesus. Jesus, loud and continuous, you see. 
the desperateness of our circumstance should determine the earnestness of our praying. And his prayer was answered. He wanted Jesus, could you come to my house and touch my daughter and heal her? And Jesus said, let's go. And so Jesus agreed to go. Now here's the thing. In the first other side that Pastor Rao spoke about, where Jesus came to the other side and he immediately healed this man that was possessed by many evil spirits, right? And then Sunday we talked about part two of this other side where now this woman who was sick for 12 years with a disorder, a blood disorder, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and the Bible says she's immediately healed. But now in this part three where we have Jairus, he re he, to receive his miracle, he's got to start a journey. Listen to me. Not all miracles are instantaneous. Some miracles come at the end of a journey. In other words, there are times where we pray and we cry out to God and God moves right away. Boom, it happens. But how many know there are times where we cry out to God and Jesus said, okay, let's do it, but it means we're going on a journey together. And that journey is you're going to begin praying and, and cry, you're going to continue crying out uh, because there is a process here. There's something that we're going to do and it's not going to be instantaneous. And notice as we talked on Sunday, in between Jairus asking Jesus and Jesus saying, come on, let's go, before he got to his home, we have what we might call an interruption. And that's the woman who had the disorder of blood for 12 years. And so you may say, well, okay, can you just say a quick prayer for her and let's go? Obviously, he didn't have to say anything because the woman touched Jesus, but Jesus then stopped and he begins talking to her, uh, to this woman, to, to totally bring restoration in her life. But Jairus could have seen this as a delay as an interruption on, in this journey. Somebody else got a miracle ahead of me. You ever wonder why that happens? Have you, are you, have you ever come to a point where you get envious that somebody got a miracle ahead of you? Yeah. In fact, sometimes you even get angry. Why did she get a miracle before me? Why did he get a miracle before me, God? They got theirs right away, and I got to go on a journey. Those are some of the things that those of us that are sinful think about. I'm not you. I know you're, you're, you're spiritual. I'm talking about those of us who wonder why we got to really cry out in months and weeks, and this person comes in that we, they don't even know God. Hey, look, I got a miracle. I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a miracle. I think we need to remind ourselves tonight that there are no delays or interruptions as far as God's concerned. You know, we may look at it as the delays, interruptions, but not as far as God's concerned. In fact, I believe God orchestrated this whole thing. I believe he orchestrated that second miracle just for Jairus, you see. I found it so fascinating that the woman 
had a disorder of blood for 12 years. And how old was Jairus' daughter? 12 years. Did you know that in the Bible, one of the, the number 12 is symbolic for God's power and authority? In other words, I, I think that we can glean something here that there is no sickness, there's no illness, there's no circumstance, no issue that the power and authority of the Lord cannot handle. As we were singing earlier, right? Now, having said that, remember the other side now tonight is all about this journey for the miracle. And while they are going on this miracle, there's this delay of a woman who gets healed. And while Jesus is restoring her now, there's another voice that enters the scene. There's a voice of somebody that came from the house and told Jairus, speaking directly to him, your daughter's dead. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus heard that. And he turns to Jairus right away, and he tells him, don't be afraid, just believe. And listen to me, because on this journey for a miracle, we are going to have to deal with the voice of perceived reality. And by that, I mean this. The voice of perceived reality says this is how this seems to be. This is the finality of the situation, but it's always based from a human perspective, right? From a human perspective, the child was dead. And there, there's this voice of, of perspective reality. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. In other words, there are times in this spiritual journey while we are praying for a miracle, we will hear that voice and saying, the situation is final. This thing is so, your marriage is dead. Why bother Jesus anymore? This situation is never going to turn around. That loved one that you've been praying for to come back is never going to come back. Why bother praying anymore? In fact, the more you look at it through the lens of humanity, you will agree with this voice. Yep, that thing is as good as dead. Yep, they're never going to, I can see they're getting worse and worse. That's never going to happen. That's the, that's the voice of perceived reality, you see. In other words, this voice tells us that Jesus can't help us now. It's beyond hope. It's beyond the scope of God turning this thing around. This voice seeks to destroy all hope. It seeks to get us to put a stop to the journey. Remember, this journey is all about praying and, and continuing to cry out to God because we're going with Jesus to, to get the miracle. And that, that going with Jesus is that we're, we're gonna continue praying until there's the manifestation of the miracle. But as we are praying, there's a voice that's saying, look at the situation. It's bad. It's, it's never, Jesus, there's, this, there's no way Jesus can fix that. There's no way he can bring healing. There's no way he can restore. That it's over. It's final. Don't bother praying anymore. You see. And that's when the Lord will whisper into your heart, don't be afraid. Just believe. And that 
word just there means, literally means keep praying. Keep believing. Keep believing. In spite of what you see with your natural eyes, keep praying. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, we've got to keep praying. We've got to keep believing. Come on, tell them, we've got to keep believing. In other words, we have to hold on to our faith and we have to keep on praying. So that's the, that's the voice of perceived reality. And so they get past that voice and then they get to the house and now there's another voice. And all of a sudden now, Jesus looks at the scene and a mourning party has gathered. Everybody's crying, everybody is wailing and Jesus sees all this commotion. He said, what's, what's all this? The child's not dead. She's asleep. And notice now, they went in a blink of an eye from, oh, <laughs> you must be crazy. They laughed at him. Think about the craziness of that moment. Right from, from morning, straight into ridicule. And so, this second voice is the voice of ridicule. It's the voice that proclaims you are crazy to believe that God's going to turn that around. You're crazy to believe that that miracle is going to take place. That's never going to happen. Come on. That's, that's crazy faith. That's stupid faith, you see. That's the voice of ridicule. Notice that Jesus proclaimed that the situation as they saw it wasn't final, but they still ridiculed him for it. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Sometimes this voice comes through people that you know. Sometimes the very people that you sit next to in church become the voice of ridicule. Where you are looking for somebody to pray with you and they're ridiculing you for continuing to pray at all. Listen to me now. Because this is, you, you got, I want you to see this. It's not an easy thing to say, but it's an important thing to say. Because notice that Jesus put everybody out except the disciples that he brought along with him and the parents. There are times where you have to put people out of your life that are not speaking words of faith into your life. Right? But people where you are believing God for a miracle and they're telling you, you need to stop praying for that. That's crazy. And you're like, graciously to say, speak to the hand. You need to get that person out of your life when it comes to that portion because you know, listen, that person is going to uh, get me. They're, they're good at mourning with me for the loss, but they don't have the faith to pray with me for the miracle. You know, there are people, Christians, I'm not questioning their salvation, but you see, they're not in that place spiritually where they recognize there are a lot of people that are hurting, that have incredible needs that we are surrounded with. And it's so easy to become the wrong voice. And it's so easy for you and I to listen to the wrong voice, you see. 
So sometimes you got to put this voice out. The voice of ridicule, you, there's no other way to do it, but you got to put it out. You got to get rid of them. And after all that took place, as we read, Jesus healed this precious daughter of Jairus and restored her to life. Listen to me as the worship team comes. We're going to just close this out really quickly. The other side, and this part three of it, is the fact that the miracle, the answer to prayer, comes at the end of a journey. And it's a journey in which you and I need to fall at Jesus' feet. We need to have humility. We need to recognize, first and foremost, Jesus doesn't owe me anything. Right? And, and, and I, I need to get rid of all that other nonsense about position and, and, and my own ego uh, and my pride that will keep me from humbling myself at the feet of the master. To recognize I need help. I need Jesus to move in this way. But, and I can't emphasize enough because over the years, unfortunately, I've seen marriages fall apart simply because they won't come and acknowledge they need help. They're so prideful. Nobody can know that we're going through this. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. What you're going through, everybody goes through. And then, but there's seasons where going to get counsel, which ends up in prayer and going to God, may be the very thing that you need, the miracle that will bring healing. But oftentimes, you know, oh no, my position, I can't let people know that. I can't let anybody know that, what's going down. And we miss out on a miracle because we won't fall at Jesus' feet and humble ourselves. This earnest praying, the pleading, loud and continuous that we need before God, you know, to cry out to Him, to have that, that desperateness that really causes us to really unleash, if you will, a cry before God. And that always gets Jesus' attention and gets him to come on this journey. A journey where you and I are going to have to keep believing because there are going to be those voices that are going to tell us this is dead. Stop praying. It's never going to happen. There's going to be those voices of ridicule like you're going to be made a fool of to be thinking that that's going to take place. Where all these things, these Voices, in order to silence them, you're just going to have to get them out, put them out, and keep focused on the Lord. Because if you focus on the Lord and surround yourself with the few, notice that from the crowd, we began with a crowd. We ended up in Jairus' house with Jesus, three disciples, and the parents. Listen to me now. My final thought with this. There are times when the miracle that you need, it's going to dwindle down to a select few that will pray with you and see you through. And that's nothing against the whole, the, everybody else. I'm just telling you that there are times where you recognize there are those that, man, this person is my prayer partner. God put this person in my life to intercede with me and bring me through until the miracle comes. But that's going to be a select few that's going to do that. And that's okay, because all you need, as the Bible said, we're two or what? Three or God, that's all you need, it's two or three. 
that will stand in agreement with you and say, it's not ridiculous for you to keep praying for this. We're going to pray this thing together because we're going to see Jesus come and do the miracle. Can't give up. So I want you to stand with me tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would lead us in a song a time or two. And then we're going to go to God. We're going to keep believing. Though the miracle hasn't been manifested yet, we're on this journey together. And we're going to see God do a miracle as we cry out to him.